Fans of the Dynasty Invest podcast, if you feel like there was one particular episode in the back catalogue in the anthology of Dynasty Invest podcast episodes that really, really, really was massively valuable to you, feel free to share that with a fellow dental colleague who's in a similar position so their understanding of finance can be elevated and they can hit the next level of financial success in their life. Also, as well as that, if you could take two seconds to rate and review this podcast, it would mean the world to me. What that would mean is that it drives this podcast further in terms of reach so that more dentists across the world can be able to benefit from the knowledge contained therein. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dentists Who Invest podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Dentists Who Invest channel where myself and Rohit Rohella returning face on the group are here to discuss how to recession-proof your investing portfolio or do you even need to recession-proof your investing portfolio as we commonly, we kind of circle back to that theme, don't we, on these conversations, don't we, Rohit? Because uh, it's actually based on how your port- your portfolio was set up in the first place. But, of course, I'm not going to drop too many spoilers because we will reveal all during the course of this conversation. Rohit, how are you today, my friends? I'm very well. How about you, James? Friday evening? Friday evening, getting those Friday feels, my friend. Well, I say that, actually, but I've got a busy weekend of Zooms and things ahead. And, yeah, looking forward to it. And looking forward to a conversation, because I always do. Because I always <laughs> learn something. I love doing these. It's just, you know, money is so fascinating. And the thing about it is, it's not just to have loads of cash so we can be like, yeah, look at us. It's basically because it's a tool to buy back a freedom. How do we ensure that we grow ours and protect ours as much as we can? That's the mindset flip with investing. It's actually a defensive thing before it's an offensive thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's about taking control of your time, taking control of your life and letting the investments you make do all the hard work. And that requires patience, it requires discipline, but it requires the most important thing, knowledge. I heard it broken down really nicely recently. Okay, so think about it like this. We have all these different assets, right? And each one of them has different properties. Mm -hmm. But we tend to think, we tend to view cash as the only asset. Yeah. Cash is king. <laughs> cash is king. Everybody thinks cash is king. But do the properties of cash actually serve us based on the goals and objectives we're trying to achieve? Right. Now, fair enough if your goals and objectives are whatever comes into your bank account, you want to spend it very quickly. I don't know yeah. because that's how you live your life. It's advisable to tuck some away for your investment portfolio, of course. But if you need money, if you need your wealth very quickly in the short term, that, then cash is king, maybe one to two years, all right? Because yep. otherwise investing it in the market is, well, volatility comes into play. But the thing about it is actually the majority of the time, you don't need your cash to do that. You don't need it over that time frame. So is there an asset that actually better serves your objectives and purposes that you're unaware of? And yep. if, if, your, if your objective is long-term growth of your wealth, Actually, there's probably an asset out there that is more aligned with that purpose that you can take your cash and transform it into and then transform it back when you need it. And basically, it's just a way of looking at investing. It's just a way of looking at the markets. Does the asset in which you hold your wealth actually serve the purpose or objective that you're trying to achieve? And it just broke it down really nicely for me. I really like that. Anyway, we're not going to digress too much. Rohit, you're here today to talk about recession-proofing your portfolio. There'll be a lot of people out there who are thinking to, yourself, thinking to themselves, recession, what the heck is that? Why do I need to think about this right here, right now? Maybe it might be nice to do a little bit of a breakdown on what you currently see in the market. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's start by defining that term recession, which we 
which is being banded about these days. So a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative growth, as in falling GDP. So the economy is not actually growing, it's falling two consecutive quarters. So uh, the UK is shortly expected to get there. A lot of other major economies in the world get there. And uh, you tend to think of doom and gloom, don't you? Uh, that's what the newsmakers uh, would, would like to make you think. Everything is going to come crashing and burning down. But actually, when you look beneath the surface, there are always new shoots, green shoots. And we call this period, you know, seasoned investors and investment managers, we call this period a period of opportunity where the success stories of the next growth cycle are being born. Um, so I thought it would be really good to reflect on some of the things that are happening these days and really find, you know, fine-tune our understanding of what they mean for us, our finances, and where are the shoots or the windows of opportunity that might be lurking around. Another saying that I love, a declining in price market is actually an increasing in value market. That's it. And increasing in price market is actually a decreasing in value market because the amount of money you exchange per unit goes up. The unit remains the same, the unit being whatever asset, whatever fund that you're buying. Granted, of course, that you're investing in suitably long-term things, that logic would apply. And that's how we should be looking at things. But what do people do? What do most people do when we're investing? We let our emotions determine what we do. We let our emotions lead from the front. We get way too giddy when it's going up and we get way too upset when it's yeah. going down. We get way too moroseful, fearful, we begin to sell. But yeah. actually, if you, can, if you can actually fine-tune your brain to pretty much do the opposite, you've yeah. got a huge advantage. Easier said than done, but we're going to cover that. Yes, we will. We will cover that and link it with current events. So let's just circle around the world and see what's happening uh, all over. Let's start with the biggest economy in the world, the United States. Uh, they say that when uh, the states catches a cold, the re- sorry, the, when the state sneezes, the rest of the world catches a cold, I should say. Um, so that, that's what seems to be happening. So there, there are some uh, interesting news emerging from what the Federal Reserve is doing, for example. So they have uh, stuck to increasing interest rates, but they have also said that the interest rate rises needed in the future uh, may not be as high to tame inflation because inflation seems to be showing signs of slowing down, which is quite interesting. So uh, the reaction of markets today over there has been relatively muted. Uh, however, we think that this could just mark the beginning of a change in the negative sentiment over there. Employment has held up uh, and that is a really good sign over there as in the UK. So employment is holding up. Wage increases are happening, although they can't happen at the same rate that inflation is at the moment. So there are sort of uh, some confidence stories emerging there. Uh, A lot of the big names on the S&P 500 and the New York Stock Exchange seem to be still making profits. Their share prices have tumbled. So uh, stock markets have tumbled between 15 and 20 percent. They've had a little bit of a recovery over there uh, more recently. Still, uh, what you alluded to in the beginning seems to be holding true that this is the time to grab a bargain uh, in the world's biggest economy. So that's what we are reading over there. Uh, Of course, they don't rely in the same way on uh, gas from Russia as the Europeans do. So flying over the pond into Europe now, uh, they are in real trouble, aren't they, with Germany, the engine of the European 
shit, as it were, uh, real thinking, what are they going to do come winter? So they are trying to say to people, cut down on your energy usage. All right for individuals, but what do you do about energy-intensive businesses? I mean, Germany has a significantly large proportion of businesses which are industrial, production-based, energy-intensive. So, so they are trying to tackle that problem. Renewable energy is the answer, but that's a long-term thing. So it remains to be seen what, what uh, shape Eurozone ends up being in, but there things are not looking as great. Um, then coming to home, coming to the UK. So the UK has a couple of interesting dates to look out uh, in September. On the 5th, we are going to know who is going to be our new prime minister. So whether you are in the trust camp or in the, you're in the Sunak camp, or like me, you are in the could care less camp, you know, you're going to know the result on the 5th of September. Which camp are you in, James, by the way, I wonder? <laughs> mm, um, I like Rishi Sunak more from the point of view that I feel like he gets the economy more and he's more willing to not appease, go all out to appease voters and yeah. have monetary policy and maybe be a yeah. bit stringent when he has to be. And he's not afraid yeah. to be the do the right thing, but not always the popular thing. Whereas I feel like slightly... Liz Truss is attempting to appease voters by having loose monetary policy, which I don't know if that's the right move right now. But of course, listen, that's my very cursory high level understanding of it. And by no means am I nailing my flag to <laughs> just there. So um, I, I like to stay, I like to stay, give politics a wide berth on density yeah. invest. <laughs> on that one. I'm going to caveat, caveat what I just said was that right there. Yeah. Real quick, guys, I've put together a special report for dentists entitled The Seven Costly and Potentially Disastrous Mistakes That Dentists Make Whenever It Comes to Their Finances. Most of the time, dentists are going through these issues and they don't even necessarily realize that they're happening until they have their eyes opened. And that is the purpose of this report. You can go ahead and receive your free report by heading on over to www.dentistinvest.com forward slash podcast report. Or alternatively, you can download it using the link in the description. This report details these seven most common issues. However, most importantly, it also shows you how to fix them. I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Very often, us economists or uh, economically minded people don't care as much about politics. But if politics mattered uh, at any particular time, it is now more than any other time in the recent past. Uh, maybe during COVID it did, but now it really uh, matters. What policies will the new prime minister pursue? Um, energy bills, they are uh, the real issue at the moment. So we know that the energy price cap has been announced, uh, 3,500 plus in, in October, and then goes to 5,000 pounds is the expectation in January, uh, increasing to an eye-watering 6,000 uh, pounds in March. And that's really going to put a lot of people in fuel poverty, it's going to affect a lot of small businesses, which could frankly go under. So these are real challenges which have to be tackled by the incoming prime minister and the new administration. Right now, it doesn't really help that the government is in a bit of a limbo state. Uh, we hear that a certain Mr. Johnson is away holidaying, which is interesting amongst all this turmoil. But he's like, I couldn't care less. I've been booted out. So, so that's where we are. But then the other interesting development is what, view is the Bank of England going to take with all this? So 
in the middle of September, I think it's on the 15th, we have the next meeting of the uh, Bank of England uh, Monetary Policy Committee, where they're going to decide how much do the interest rates go up by. Analysts are predicting anywhere from uh, half a percent to higher. Some are predicting lower, but overall, uh, inflation is going to be a lot more uh, uh, increasing. It's going to be increasing a lot more here in the UK uh, than it's going to be, say, in the US. Uh, because whilst we don't really take much gas from Russia, uh, the price at which we import it is affected by uh, the wholesale prices. Okay, so uh, as much as we like to think that Brexit means we are not affected by Europe, we are. Uh, which kind of brings into question the whole logic behind Brexit. Let's not get into that. But uh, the the headline in the UK is going to be rising inflation, uh, which is going to undermine the pound. So the outlook for the pound is not not very good in terms of its value, uh, basically the dollar or the euro. Um, and the economic outlook is also not that great uh, at the moment. However, and there's always a however, isn't it? Um, the FTSE. The index in the UK is predominantly a value index. So you've got real bellwethers there, um, such as mining companies, such as energy companies who have made enormous profits. So this goes back to what I was pointing about, James, and you were alluding to, that there are always pearls of opportunity um, in this abyss of what we call a recessionary environment, isn't it? So, uh, you know, Shell, BP, they've had record profits. Um, Mining companies, clean energy companies, uh, they are going to be massively profitable going forward because that's the real answer, isn't it, to our energy goals. So we've covered the developed world. Now, it's very interesting to see what's happening in the biggest uh, sort of part of the so-called emerging markets, and that's China, the, the dragon, as we call it. So uh, China uh, has, has not had it so good, has it, in the last few months with what's been going around there. So uh, right from their zero COVID policy to uh, more recently their real estate uh, troubles. So what has gone on there is uh, Evergrande and a lot of other real estate companies have uh, taken money from uh, potential buyers who jumped onto this bandwagon of home ownership. It's not unfamiliar to us in the UK. Everybody wants to own their home. Similarly, they put their money, they got mortgages, but these developers didn't actually build anything. So we are in a in this strange situation where people are being asked to pay money on their mortgages, but they haven't got their homes, which were promised to them. So uh, it threatened to put a lot of real estate companies into, you know, over the edge into administration. But now that's the good news. The Chinese government has stepped in. Uh, it said it's going to lower interest rates on the mortgage, the reference rates. And it's also giving these developers financing to help complete these projects. So that's a big vote of confidence uh, in this sector, and it's likely to allay concerns of investors. The other positive development in China is related to a lot of companies, uh, Chinese companies, which operated in the US, uh, companies like Alibaba, that we all know of, Xiaomi. Uh, so there was a big dispute going on between the states and the Red Dragon of the China, China uh, about auditing these companies and how transparent their finances were. So this, this had gone on for months, maybe years. But now, uh, thankfully, they've come to an agreement that these papers will be brought to Hong Kong and U.S. auditors will be able to look at these companies and then that will ease their financing strategies as far as the U.S. is concerned. So some good positive developments there. Um, if we look at the other big sort of component of emerging markets, India, 
continues to be very robust. It's uh, not affected in the same way as the West by the energy woes. Doesn't get as cold there. So not as much reliance on gas for heating. And then they are continuing to import petroleum from Russia and the Middle East. So that we, we call it the Modi phenomena. The pr prime minister there is doing a really good job. So we think India is continuing to grow and it will continue to grow. So it's going to be really the driver of global growth uh, going forward. So uh, these are the windows of opportunity as we see it at the moment. The US, which seems to be holding up uh, and emerging markets, uh, some, some uh, you know, and companies in the UK and Europe. Um, so really what I wanted to conclude this update, uh, the first part anyway, is saying that there are windows of opportunity. And if you look at 130s of stock market history, then the asset class that has exceeded everything else, the type of investment that's given better returns than property, than bonds, certainly better than cash, is your good old equity. Is the great companies of the world who exist to make profits and they do that by uh, building great products, great services. Uh, this sort of time is exactly when their great minds are sat there innovating, trying to figure out how to survive this difficult period. No doubt there will be some failures. And that's what we call survival fitness, the Darwinian phenomena at its best, right? And the next success stories, which we will identify, and that's the idea of you know, investment research, will be the drivers of growth when it comes. Will I know when it comes? Can I say that right now? No, I can't. Whether it will be six months, one year, two years. History tells us that this sort of phases, recessionary phases, will last for about anywhere from six months to two years. So if we see COVID, that was short sub V-shaped correction. If we say 2008, it took a little bit longer. So we call it a U-shaped recovery or a long U. Um, but then what always follows is a period of rising markets. And unless this is a dire you know, uh, it's a very different period. We have a nuclear war. Putin decides to go crazy, then it could be different. But jokes apart, there's always a recovery. This is the time, guys, to really start thinking, have I got that spare capital? Have I got uh, capital which I can put away for more than five years? Take this opportunity. It, it is really an opportunity of a lifetime to grab bargain, get into good investments and let the you know, markets do their job in the long term, which is, Grow your wealth uh, ahead of long-term inflation, really. So, so I'm sure, James, you will have a lot of questions coming on the back of what we've talked about. So, right, fire away. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, yes, uh, I'm sure there'll be some questions that are coming in on the chat, absolutely. Um, just to add to what you were saying, um, yeah, yeah so I was reading something interesting the other day that, think yeah. about it like this, right? So if we think about these major indexes as basically there is a tangent, there's an average value at which they increases over time, the valuation of the index, and it increases, okay? Yeah. The volatility is how much it fluctuates around the mean, okay? Right. And yeah. a function of volatility or one way of measuring the value of a company versus how much it's returning is its PE ratio, right? Exactly. So it's, so and some, some clever boffin somewhere has done a study on PE ratios versus success of your retirement okay yeah. you, there's no surprise for guessing right now somebody somebody's calculated that the pe ratio of the s p 500 the average one or the average pe ratio is 19 something like that right and these these figures i read this like three weeks ago so the figures are a little loose but they're along these lines right so if the average is 19 and we know that when it's overvalued it's going to revert to the mean at some point probably sooner rather than later, right? 
is somebody calculated that basically when we apply the rule of four percent where you basically use this rule of thumb to decide how much you can safely withdraw from your portfolio it applies and i believe the original study for the rule of four percent was 30 years okay uh 30 years of safe withdrawals at the rate of four percent of the of the year uh, per year uh how many portfolios survive under those conditions, as in how many people don't run out of money, right? And basically, if you take that and you overlay it over PE ratios, okay, the only portfolios that run out of money after, after 30 years, okay, the likelihood of that happening increases so much more when your retirement starts on the day that a PE ratio is way, way, way above average, right? So we're talking like 27, okay? Then apparently in that instance, 25% of retirement portfolios fail when you use the rule of 4% over 30 years. Go yeah. all the way down to PE ratio of like 10, and every single one of them survives. And if anything, you've got another few decades afterwards. So really, be super excited if your retirement starts whenever the market is low is at a lower value, right? Because chances are, chances are that the market's going to be rising at the same rate at your yeah. with your withdrawing capital effectively, offsetting it is yeah. really interesting, right? Exactly. And th- this this was a survey that someone conducted. So anyway, what what does that mean for anybody investing at the minute? Apparently, the current P- I looked this up the other day because I was curious how current conditions compare to those stats, right? Current PE ratio is nineteen, right? So it's basically the market is accurately valued, right? Does that mean it's going to go up? Does that mean it's go down, going to go down in the short term? No one knows, right? Yeah. But what it recently it's been overvalued. So it comes back to what we were saying just a minute ago. If we're going to look at that metric, when everybody was getting giddy a few months ago, surely by that logic we should be getting even more giddy now, you know? Maybe and when yeah. PE rates go down further, that's yeah. when we get really, really, really excited. But yeah, anyway, it's just an interesting one. Um, that that yeah. was that that was from a book, which is I'm just looking over my shoulder on my bookshelf, um, which is called How Much Money Do I Need to Retire? Lots of interesting factoids for any financial boss out there who really love diving into stats. That is the book for you because I found it absolutely riveting. Fantastic! That, recommend that book. Recommend that book. And yeah, uh, I realize that's probably going to be maybe over a few people's heads. Maybe that's a podcast for another day because it'll take a little <laughs> while. It take a little while to explain what those are, but for the finance buffs in the audience, you'll know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. And and this is it. A lot of people uh, who are more into trading, into short term profiteering and so on, they they tend to want to time the markets and what's the right time to buy something and to sell it and make an optimal profit. The reality is that if anybody does it properly, then uh, you know, it makes they, they just got lucky because no one can really time the markets. It's about staying invested and keep doing the same old fundamental things, okay, which we have control over. Control the controllables is what I say. Uh, make sure that if you have disposable income, you are doing regular investing. Uh, if you're operating through uh, a limited company structure, make sure that you're optimizing what you can draw versus what you can invest um, through your company. Uh, make sure that you're using as far as possible your ISA allowances. £20,000 a year is very generous, and that's tax-free returns forever, really. Uh, make sure that you're optimizing your pensions. Um, think about if it's matched to your risk profile. Think of 
early stage companies, venture capital trusts, where you're investing in the Zooplas, uh, the kazoos of the future, uh, companies that are one to three million pounds in valuation now, very successful, and they're going to be the big success stories, you know, re redefine our world. And you're also doing good uh, for the world by investing in these companies. So uh, get to know all this, uh, educate yourself, talk to specialists uh, like us, advisors, and uh, that is the real investment you can make in building your future. Do not let yourself be swayed by short-term uh, fears and what you see in the news, because as I said before, it's news is negative events, world service, negative news sells, uh, positive news. Okay. Uh, people look at it and say, yeah, all good, jolly. Uh, does that really make for <laughs> a sensation? No, that's the reality, isn't it? Human psychology. 100%. And another, another thing I heard recently as well, it was talking about businesses and just another vantage point through which to regard them. Basically, these things are living, breathing entities. And for anybody who runs a business, right, how many yeah. flipping decisions do you have to make on a daily basis? You don't really actually ever get a day off. It's like an organism that you have to constantly maintain. You have to constantly pay attention to it in order to tweak it to ensure its survival. It's like how you how you eat, how you feed yourself, how you sustain your own yourself as a human being, as an individual. That's effectively what a business is as well. So when we come to inflation and things like that, it's very because these things are so dynamic. And the, these people are the like the fact that they've got these businesses to these positions in the first place. They're not just going to roll over and take it. You know, they're going to adapt. They're going to change, and that's why that asset class consistently outperforms because you're basically buying a little bit of the brain power of the smartest people in the world. Yeah. Think about it in your dental practice, right? You know, people want to invest in their dental practice or invest the excess cash that their dental practice throws off. Here's the beautiful thing about a business and a dental practice. That is one of the most inflation-proof things there can ever be, right? Because you can just, when the prices, when inflation goes up, you put your prices up to match it. You can account for it. You add more value to what you give to your patients. You can make more money and increase the, the price at which you charge. Therefore, your wealth effectively, your ability to generate wealth outpaces inflation. It's just an interesting way of looking at it. That's the beauty of having a business. You can tweak a few things, and then what it means is you can get ahead of the game. But of course... It all comes down to your model, how much you're charging already. There's various other factors in there. And I'm, I'm, I am making it sound dreadfully simple, but it's just another perspective or way of looking at it, of looking at it that's interesting, I feel. Yeah, and that's what businesses do, James. So if we talk about, it, let's take an example of Amazon, right? So Amazon makes most of its money not from uh, Prime or deliveries. It makes most of its money from cloud services, which... Uh, are bought by uh, some of the biggest businesses that there are in this world. Uh, now, it's an incredibly sticky service uh, because for them to switch all their storage from, say, their Amazon to Microsoft or somebody else, Google, it's very difficult. Uh, and they obviously can put their prices up uh, as inflation goes up and their clients uh, have to accept it or they do tend to accept it. So this is where we are talking about parallels. The big difference, James, is... By investing in these companies, you are letting the people, the smart people in those companies do all the hard work for you. Uh, and that's that, that's wherein lies the idea of financial freedom. So, yes, you're working as a dentist right now, maybe as an associate thinking one day you'll have a practice or a practice principal right now working really hard um, to build value in your practice. And one fine day, you're, you're going to sell it. And that's, that's the question. And you've sold it. You've got this sum of money. If that money is then not working, then it's going to lose its value. So what do you do with it? 
you don't want to uh, run a practice for the rest of your life. So you let bright people running these bright businesses across the world grow this money for you by running whatever businesses they're running. So therein lies the parallel. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely 100%. That's another vantage point or perspective of a way of looking at it. And really interestingly, um, you, you tend to find there's two, broadly speaking, there's two pathways to wealth, right? So you've got the steady eddies over here on the right-hand yeah. side. They familiarize themselves with yeah. long-term investing techniques and how to grow their money in the market. So they've perhaps got a job or maybe they're self-employed or something like that. They yeah. earn money through their job. They take out a certain amount to sustain themselves. There's a certain amount of abundance and part of that goes into the market. And it's like building a house brick by brick by brick. They build their wealth, okay? Yeah. They work as employees. They do that for a fair portion of their life. And then one day they reach retirement age where effectively their assets are at the point where they can sustain them yeah. until they're no longer on this earth, until they pass away. That is the conventional model of retiring. The downside to that model is it takes a few decades to get there. Because if we could, if we could say we could be rich tomorrow, someone would say, yes, yes, straight away, like that, right? Yeah. You know. But from, if we use that method, don't get me wrong, we should 100% do that. That would yeah. be the downside, all right? But having said that, it's a realistic way and it's a very tried and tested, proven way of attaining wealth, right? That's method number one, right? Method yeah. number two is the business owner. Now, I'm totally generalizing here. There's obviously more ways within those, but broadly speaking, from a very high level, you've got the business owner. Now, the business owner, they tend to be so absorbed in their business that any profit that they make goes back into the business. They never actually really familiarize themselves with how to invest in assets. The business grows and grows and grows and grows. One day, they exit the business because the exit always comes. There's four ways you can exit a business, right? You can either walk out where you just do this with your hands. I've had enough. I don't care. I don't want to see it ever again. I don't care how much it's worth. See you later. Here, where's the, here's the deeds. You have them. Something like that, right? You yeah. walk out. You sell out. Okay, yeah. we sell the business itself. You can get, if it's a big public company, you can get pushed out, like what happened to Elon Musk and Steve Jobs. Doesn't really yeah. happen in central practice because they're not public. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or the worst one, number four, you get carried out. Of that <laughs> you get carried out, yeah. Point for sure, isn't it? <laughs> a stretcher or a coffin, right? Or something like that. But anyway, we don't need to talk about that one. So basically by default, we either walk out, if we don't think about selling out at some point, one of the other three ones happen to us. Yeah. Are you with me? Which is an, it's an interesting way of looking at it. It's not, it's not like we're coming at it from this totally abstract new angle, but perhaps people have just never had it broken down like that before. I have a little bit more to add on top of that, but do you yeah. find that interesting? Did, had you heard that before? Very much so, because uh, it's human nature. Uh, I come across it every day in my job as a financial planner because it's human nature to think about the here and now, the challenges which are there today or maybe the next week, next month. Uh, most people don't think beyond that. Uh, most people have a vague idea of retiring at, say, 60 or 65, uh, but they haven't really thought about what they want to do at what stage uh, is their heart stop. Uh, does it look like... Uh, retirement where they phase it over a period of time or is it going to be that they stop working uh, and before that what are the financial priorities um, 
Do you intend to pay off your mortgage entirely? Are you going to live in the same house? Uh, do you have children? If so, are you going to want to pay for their education, their lifestyle? All of these questions uh, bring financial challenges. And uh, the ability to take control depends a lot on having a costed plan. Uh, this is what we call at Finsbridge a lifetime cash flow master plan. So we put all of these goals that you've got vaguely in your head in precise sort of time and uh, money uh, parameters. So there's a saying, isn't it, that you have, need to have smart goals, smart goals meaning specific, measurable, timely, you know, all of these things um, are really important. So we break goals down into those parameters and that reflects in the form of a nice visual chart where uh, you know that where you're heading and what you need to get there. So your existing assets will get, get you up to a certain point. So say uh, you will run off money at 70 or 75 and uh, you've got 10 more years to invest and close that gap using the 4% rule or whatever route, depending on how long you're going to live, right? So if, if you are, say, going to retire at 60 and you expect to live to 100, then that 4% rule is not, not applicable because it could exceed. The, so it's specific to you what rate of return you require based on that, how much should you be investing and and that is a very, very uh, relieving feeling. It puts you uh, in a very confident position by knowing exactly the date you can retire. And then nothing is constant in life. Uh, the plan isn't constant. So regular check-ins once every six months, once every year. And this is something which uh, you can do working with a financial coach or a planner, or you can actually do yourself by educating, or it could be a combination because education is key. And if you can have that, uh, then you are in control of your outcomes in future. Otherwise, you're just treading down a path where uh, you're leaving it to chance, isn't it? Where Which could be one of the less desirable outcomes that you outlined. Yeah, 100%. And the final thing I was going to say on those two methods or pathways to wealth is yeah. you'll often find that pathway number one has never heard of pathway number two, or is it maybe only vaguely aware of it or has no real idea of how it works? And pathway number two, as in the business owners, they have no idea about pathway number one because they're so focused on what they need to do to make their business work. Yeah. There's 168 hours in a week and a business can take 169 hours. Do you know what I mean? It yeah. can take as much as you want. Are you with me? And it's so sometimes when you're in the picture, you can't see the frame. And basically, the if, if, that's, if one is red and one is blue, like most things in life, the answer is actually purple. And when it comes to the end where you have this business and all of a sudden you have to invest it all at once, you have to invest the capital generated from the business, from your selling out point all at once, it becomes that much more expensive to you. And also they see the opportunity cost of not knowing about method number one the whole time because your spare capital could have been appreciating and you could have diversified out of your business a long time ago. And just like what we were saying earlier, tax-free, tax-free. Yeah. If it's in an ISA, if it's if it's in a if it's in a pension, well, we get taxed on the way out on a pension, but it's tax free on the way in. There's basically tax mitigation methods that we could be capitalizing on that we don't yeah. always do. There's offshore bonds uh, where you can get five percent of your capital tax free for for a very long time. So there are lots of vehicles. A lot of people, most people know about pensions, but they may not know about stocks and shares or VCTs or offshore bonds. So it's about expanding your knowledge and using all of these tools that the government gives you, really. Um, and when it comes to passing on wealth, uh, I know we're going to perhaps do this in more detail, but 
that's equally important, isn't it? Um, in this country, if if you have wealth exceeding, say, 325,000 or 500,000 if you're passing to your children for a single person, you get taxed at 40 percent. That could be a lot of money. So say somebody sells their practice for you know, a couple of million pounds um, and that is over their threshold. 40 percent of that, 800,000 uh, could be gone in tax. Right. That's a lot of money. Uh, which could could have been saved uh, for for the future generations. So that's why tax planning is you know control the controllables, reduce your tax burden in your lifetime, reduce it uh, when it passes on to next generation, secure your future, make sure that you've got control over uh, eventualities like death or illness. You've got the right sort of insurance. Your mortgage is optimized, and that's what are the financial levers that if you are in control of then you can have a high degree of confidence. But more important than all of this is your emotions, okay? Because we are, we as humans are emotional beings and uh, these emotions sometimes can be really helpful in terms of innovation or coming up with new ideas, that excitement that, you know, growing the business is connected to emotions, but it can also be negative or counterproductive. So if um, you fear that in, your investments are gonna fall and you cash them in at the wrong time, in this sort of time, that's it, you've crystallized your loss. Um, or if you go into retirement without knowing that you will be all right, you could be forced to work in later life because there isn't enough left in the pot. So that's why it's important to uh, balance your emotion and rationality. Uh, and that's where an objective conversation with advisor, colleague, or James <laughs> from Dentists Who Invest, you know, reading all the wonderful stuff that you can have in this treasure trove of knowledge, uh, all of these things build to that goal. Uh, it just puts you in the driving seat, in control. Top stuff. And you know what? Again, another thing that someone said to me the other day, I'm beginning to sound like a broken record. Someone, I, I heard someone say, if we if we don't plan for our succession or our state, we love yeah. the tax man more than we love our own kids. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm not letting that happen. I'm not letting that happen by default. Rohit, we're coming up to the 40-minute mark. We're going to close proceedings very shortly. Anything you'd like to say? in conclusion to anybody who's listening and watching today? Yeah, so uh, market cycles come and go. Uh, investments rise uh, and fall in the short term. Uh, the important message is to stay focused, to have a plan, uh, to seek advice if necessary, but most importantly, be in control of your emotions, of your destiny, and of your outcomes. That's going to be my key message. I like that. That was punchy. That was punchy right there. Rohit, you've been super generous with your time. I hope you have a smashing weekend, my friend. We'll catch up soon. Thank you. See you soon, James. Have a good one. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit follow or subscribe so you can stay up to date with information on new podcasts which are released weekly. Please also feel free to leave a positive review so others can learn about this podcast and benefit from it. I would also encourage any fans of the podcast to sign up to the free Facebook community from which the podcast originated. Please search Dentists Who Invest on Facebook and hit join to become part of a community of thousands of other dentists interested in improving their finances, well-being and investing knowledge. Looking forward to seeing you on there.